from Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Peter Hanley at Western Maritime and Property. Oh, yeah, Mr. Hanley. I found this message to call you. You're still in town at the Beverly Hilton. Yes, that's right. I thought you'd be back in Hartford by now. When I can enjoy a spot like this on expense account? What? This California weather, this swimming pool here at the hotel? Uh, wait, no, 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 wait. You say on expense account? Why, sure. Dollar, you cleared up that matter for us. You proved conclusively that Randolph Merrill did not lose his yacht, that the explosion and the sinking were fake. That's right. And incidentally, as you anticipated, the yacht was found in a small Mexican seaport, all ready to be rebuilt and repainted to thoroughly disguise it. Good. Now, Mr. Hanley... Well, by the way, in spite of his earlier vindictiveness, Merrill has decided to plead guilty and throw himself on the mercy of the court. Has he signed a confession? Uh, Well, no. Then I'll bet he changes his tune by the time he goes to trial. Oh? Sure, that's an old trick to slow things up, gain time. Are you having Mrs. Merrill held as an accessory? The Merrill has made and signed a statement completely clearing her, so to hold her now would only complicate matters. Hanley... Either you haven't yet read my expense account report, or I forgot to... Or I forgot to tell you what tipped me off that that bear was trying to pull something on us. Oh? What was it, Mr. Dollar? Her jewels that you'd insured for $100,000. Oh, no. Oh, yes, Hanley. That jewelry Mrs. Merrill showed us was fake. Paste. Heavens, I... 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 Dollar? You, uh... You still think I ought to go back to Hartford? No, 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 no. Not until you found out where the real jewels are. Uh, can you come down to the office, Mr. Dollar, right away? Sure, if you like. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll drive out there to your hotel. Whatever you say. Yes, I'll, I'll drive out there. I'll, I'll be there right away. Scotch and soda be all right? Yeah, what? You uh, suddenly sound as though you could use a drink. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Western Maritime and Property Insurance Company, Los Angeles, California. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Wayward Diamonds matter. Expense account item one, two dollars and a quarter for drinks in my room at the Beverly Hilton. By the time room service had delivered them, collected the tip and left, Peter Hanley arrived. Yeah, come in. I make no bones about it, Mr. Dollar. I had completely forgotten about those jewels of Mrs. Merrill's. Yeah, well, I can't say that I blame you. We were so intent on exposing the so-called sinking of that yacht. Exactly. All right, all right. Relax. Here, come on now. Sit down and relax while we map out a plan of action. Thank you. After you hung up, I suddenly remembered that you had mentioned the fact that those jewels were fake to Mrs. Merrill herself. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, well, how did you know that they were fakes, Mr. Dollar? You remember when we sat in their living room out in Westwood while they gave us that cock and bull story about the yacht going down? Yes, yes, I remember. All right. She handed me the jewels to look at. I kind of absentmindedly dragged one of the so-called diamonds across the glass top of the coffee table and realized it didn't scratch it. Oh. Nor did any of the others which proved they weren't diamonds at all, but some kind of imitations. 
Look, why why kid about it, Hanley? Up to that point, they'd had me believing their story about losing that yacht. You weren't alone, Dollar. You weren't alone. But now I suppose we'd better call in the police about that jewelry. Why the police? Well, to, to, to see if they can find the originals. Oh, now, look, look. The Merrills are a clever pair. They proved that when they almost got away with a $150,000 claim against you for a boat that didn't sink after all. Very true, Dollar. Very true. So you can be pretty sure they didn't take the diamonds out of that jewelry and just hand them over to some fence around here. Yes, you're right. Later, I suppose, she figured to lose the fakes, have them stolen, and then claim the insurance. Yeah, probably. If we hadn't nabbed the old man for the yacht fraud. You say she hasn't been held? No. But I see now that we she should have been, in spite of her husband's statement that she was completely innocent of any complicity in the whole scheme. Yeah, yeah I think she should have. You know, it's going to take a lot of money to defend him. And with him in the clink, she's the logical one to raise it. With the diamonds. The real diamonds. Uh-huh, that's my guess. Very well, then. I'll go over to police headquarters right away, charge her with fraud. You know, because of the diamonds themselves, and see that she is held until she tells us where we can recover them. Hadn't you better get evidence of fraud first? Well, the mere fact that she substituted paste for the real diamonds in that jewelry doll. Well, a lot of people do that. Never wear the real stuff in public unless they have a lot of guards around. Well, even no, so... I... No, no, Hanley. You've got to prove that she's actually got rid of the real ones. Or tries to. You see, I don't think she's had a chance to yet. Why not? No, no, listen. I'm running up a nice fat item for you on my expense account. What kind of an item? Well, so far it only amounts to $100 and $150. What for? Fee to a private detective agency. Somebody to tailor 24 hours a day. In the hope of finding out what she's doing with the genuine stones? More important, to find out how she'll try to dispose of them. But she may have done that some time ago. No, I doubt it. Why? It's only recently they've needed dough. Granted. They had two plans. The phony sinking of their yacht, and later, if that worked... A phony loss of their phony diamonds. But why later? Well, to run them both together would look suspicious. What's more, apparently saving the jewels made the yacht accident look legitimate. Yes, I suppose so. Sure. And remember this. She made a big thing of having saved her jewelry. When we still believed the wreck was legitimate. That's right. She made a big point of displaying those phonies to us because she wanted to be sure we'd not only see them, but believe they were the originals. That we'd be witness to the fact she still had them. Yes, I see... But you must recall that you finally recognized them as paste. Yeah, but like you and I almost forgot about it simply because they had nothing directly to do with the matters at hand. Yeah, and she may think that we have forgotten, I mean. Hmm? I doubt it. The point is, now she needs money. He saw to it that she stayed free to raise it. And the diamonds are probably her only way of getting it. Which is why I put a detective on her. Oh, excuse me. Johnny Dollar. Yeah? What? Well, how did... Yeah. Uh, well, look, I'll be right over. What is it, Dollar? Oh, that detective I was talking about has just lost his job. I don't understand. He just came to. Came to? Yeah, at the home of Mrs. Merrill. He... He's in her home? Yes, but she isn't. She's gone. Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Although most men by nature don't feel in a combat mood much of the time, there are some who just can't get enough of a good fight, particularly if there's a good sound reason for it. In July 1900, 
when American fighting men were protecting the rights and liberty of their fellow countrymen during the Boxer Uprising, the battle was a furiously fought affair. Army Private Robert H. von Schlick, serving with Company C of the 9th United States Infantry Division, was in the thick of the fracas. Although he had been wounded previously while carrying a wounded comrade to a place of safety, he rejoined his command, which partly occupied an exposed position on a dike. Private von Schlick remained there after his company had been withdrawn and, in spite of the hail of bullets around him, single-handedly continued to fire into the enemy ranks. Oblivious to the fact that he was a conspicuous target, he refused to leave the fight until he was literally shot off his position by the enemy. Private Robert von Schlick earned the Medal of Honor for valiant devotion to duty and added heroic background to the code of conduct of American fighting men. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Diamonds Matter. In separate cars, I still had my rental job. Pete Hanley, the insurance man, and I drove out to Westwood just beyond Beverly Hills. You're sure that detective was here at the Merrill home when he called you? Well, that's what he said. But if he was supposed to simply tail... Come on, come on. Mr. Dollar? Yeah, that's right. And I take it you're Sam Benji... Holy smoke, what happened to you? Where's Mrs. Merrill? Well, like I told you on the phone, Mr. Dollar, she's gone. Any idea where? Oh, sir. Hey, you mind if I sit down? I I don't feel so good. No, no, go ahead. Go on, sit down. All right, you all set? Yeah. Now, what happened? Well, I, I was walking up and down the street. Huh? You know, real casual, so as not to rouse no You've suspicion. You've been walking up and down in front of this house all morning? Oh, yeah, all morning. But like I say, real casual, so Where as not... Where did you ever learn to be a detective? Some correspondence course? Oh, now, look, Dolly, you shouldn't talk like that. I resent it. Okay, all right, go ahead and resent it. But prowling up and down in front of the house... Well, my brother runs a very good detective Your agency. brother? Yeah, and if he didn't think I was a good operator, okay, he wouldn't... Okay, all right, what happened? Well, <clears throat> I see her come out the back door. You know, Miss Merrill? Wow. And I see her go out and she opens up the garage. And where were you? Well, by good luck, I just happened to be in front of the driveway about then. So, real casual, I lean over and I start tying up my shoelace, yeah. you know, so she won't get suspicious of me, you see? Go on, go yeah. on. Well, when she gets in the car and she gives me a look, but that's all. So I figures me being so casual and all, she's not wise to what I'm doing around here, you know? Uh-huh, mm. I bet she wasn't. But that's where you're wrong, Dollar, because somehow she must have figured it out. Even with me being so casual. All right, all right. What happened? Yeah. Well, Dollar, she comes bound out of that garage so fast, I didn't have hardly and time to maybe... And she casually ran you down. So I was casual about it. By the time I picked myself up and I find out I got any busted bones, she's down the street and around the corner. <sighs> what kind of a car was she driving? Uh, gee, no. What was the license number? I don't know. You don't know? Well, then how it happened so fast? Hey, look, whoever assigned you to this job ought I to have I told you, there. my brother. And don't you go say anything about my brother. How did you get into this house? Well, my order said if she made any move, I was to phone you. I figured nearest phone was in here. How did you get in? Well, I looked around to see when the back windows was open. You have so any I... authority to enter this house? A warrant, maybe? No, but I have my orders to phone you just as soon as I could. And like I said, I figured the nearest phone... You want to see my orders? No, I don't. Well, look, see here. Now, you here. look. You can take those back to your office and shove them in your darling brother's face. Oh, now you say it to my brother. Just don't forget Shouldn't to talk. tell him you're fired. Oh, now look, Dollar. 
Anybody can make one little mistake. You one... asked me, you made them all. Now go on, get out of that chair and get out of here. Oh, no, listen. Oh, and you... I uh, suppose that car that's parked right across the street, I suppose that's yours. Oh, sure. Oh, no. <laughs> so as if she made a move, I could follow without wasting no time. Real <laughs> casual, huh? Sure. So she wouldn't know you were following her. Well, of course. All right, go on, get out. Oh. Now, look, you wasn't really serious about, about what you being said fired. About... You bet I was. And you can tell your brother he and his agency are. Oh, go on. I'll, I'll settle with him later. Look, I, I'm not used to being treated like this. And when I told my brother... Oh, brother. Well, Hanny, it looks like I called in the wrong detective agency. I'm sorry. I'm afraid so. And I suppose you and I have no more right to be in this house than that idiot had. So perhaps we'd better leave. Yeah, sure. But not until you get on the phone and call the Department of Motor Vehicles. Oh? Find out from them the year, make, and model of Mrs. Nancy Merrill's car. Oh, better still, I can, I can call my office. Your office? Well, yes, we issued the insurance on that car. Well, good. Meantime, rather than just sit here and twiddle my thumbs, I'm going to have a look around. Uh, but, Dollar, if our simply being here is illegal... Uh... Would you stop worrying about it and get on that phone? In the bedroom, I found the jewel box, all right, but no sign of the jewels. However, in a desk, I did find a receipt. A receipted bill for some work done by a jeweler in Westwood Village. The amount of the bill? Yeah. It was more than enough to cover the substituting phonies for the diamonds in that jewelry. So when Hanley got the description of Nancy Merrill's car, I sent him over to West L.A. Police Headquarters to have my pals over there put out an APB on it. Then I hopped into my own car and headed for the jewelry store in Westwood. And you know something? If I'd had any idea of what was waiting for me there, believe me, I'd never have gone alone. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars. And behind each star, there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Kentucky's state flag is dark blue, with the seal of the Commonwealth encircled by a wreath of goldenrod, the state flower. Within the seal, two friends embrace, their right hands clasped, their left resting on each other's shoulder, their feet on the verge of a precipice, which illustrates the motto beneath them. United we stand, divided we fall. Kentucky's state flag, the flag of the 15th state to enter the Union, was adopted on March 26, 1918. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Diamonds Matter. Howard's Hillcrest Jewelry is a small but very exclusive shop on Weyburn Avenue in the Westwood Village section of Los Angeles. There, with the help of a receipt I'd found in Nancy Merrill's desk, I hoped to get on the track of the missing diamonds. I entered the snooty little shop and asked for the owner. I'm sorry, my good man, but Mr. Howard Howard is engaged with one of our important clients. Well, I'm here on rather important business. Well, if you care to leave your name and he wishes to see you, perhaps we shall call you. Ah, oh, Mrs. Smythe, Ken hey, look, Worthy. Buster. How delightful to see I you said... again. And did little hmm. Chi like the jeweled collar we selected for him? Chi -chi. Such a lovely yeah. puppy. You know, he's the favorite of all my doggy friends. Just as you're my favorite. Maybe I'd better look for this Howard myself. <laughs> Mrs. Smythe, Kenworthy, you have no idea how it brightens the day to have you drop in. Oops, now, wrong department. what can I show you today? Some little trinkets for your pussy cat, We have some perfectly privacy things and real emeralds. No, no. But you huh? must please. Oh, Nancy. Nancy, my dear. Yes, Howard. 
My pet, when I removed the genuine diamonds from your various pieces and replaced them with paste, it was with the distinct understanding... I know, dear, I know. But now I have to have the real stones put back. Why? As I understood, it was in order to have the fake gems stolen so that you could collect on the insurance. Oh, of course it was, of course. Not so loud, Nancy, please. Howard... Our plan to claim that the yacht exploded failed. Randolph is in jail. He didn't involve you in that, I must say, rather foolish plot. Oh, no, but I have to go through the motions of getting him legal help. Excellent, my dear. I hope they keep him in jail. Howard. Randolph has stood in the way of our romance too long, my pet. Howard, please, listen. Because of the yacht, they sent an insurance investigator out here. Investigator? Yes, a Mr. Johnny Dollar. Dollar? Good heavens. You know him? I know about him. I don't like this. And he found that these jewels I have now are paste. Now, you've got to put the original stones back so that when he sees them again, he'll think he was mistaken. Impossible. I've already disposed of them through various connections. Why did you show him those fakes? Well, I, I thought... I thought... You thought wrong, you stupid wench. Oh, how... Don't you see? You may have opened the door to investigation of some of the other favors I've been doing you and other customers to beat your insurance companies. Oh, but I didn't think... Oh, of course you didn't. But if Dollar ever connects me with those imitations... Oh, dear. Oh, I know. And if they ever find out that the loss you faked here in the store that you collected so much on... Nancy, if they ever discover that that was faked, I'll go up for life, thanks to you. Oh, no. I could kill you for being such a fool. Oh, but, darling, I didn't know. I didn't realize... You don't know anything. Howard, please. Oh, shut up. Shut up and let me think. Oh, if there's anything, anything I can do... I said shut up! Howard... Will you be quiet? I've got to think this thing out. I knew from the beginning that that stupid trick with the yacht wouldn't work out. I told you so. But it fooled the police and the Coast Guard. How were we to know the insurance company would send that Johnny Dollar out here? Will you stop talking about him? We've got to figure our way out of this mess. Now, who else besides Dollar knows about the phony jewels I made up for you? No one, Howard. Except my husband, of course. Are you sure? But how could they know? Well, what if your husband talks? Oh, he doesn't dare. Don't you see? He's the one who sent me here to get the stones back. So the dollar can't prove he saw the imitations. And I tell you, I can't get them back. They're probably scattered all over the country by now. But don't you see? Unless we can show them to him, the real ones, I mean, show them to this Johnny Dollar... No, no, then he... no, it's impossible. So, that means only one thing, Nancy. Replacing the fakes with some other genuine stones? No, no, that would take months. No, Nancy, it means that I have to get rid of this man, Dollar. <gasps> that gun! That's right. Uh-huh. You'd... you'd kill him? Yes, Nancy, I'll kill him if I can find him. I'll save you the trouble of looking for me, Howard. What? Dollar! And is that the gun you plan to kill me with? Yes, that's right. And I think I'd better kill you right now. Oh, Howard, darling, please. Oh, put that thing down, Howard. You're not going to shoot with customers out front. My private vault is just outside this back door of my office, Dollar, and it's open. In there, the sound of a shot won't be heard out front. No kidding. No kidding. All right, walk. Out that little door. Walk. Well, you don't really leave me much choice, do you? I'll open it carefully. No tricks. Tricks? With a gun on my back? All right, open the door. Go ahead. Oh, it seems stuck. Maybe you'd better open it. 
I said no tricks. You open it. Oh, Howard, you don't know what you're doing. You bet I do. Go ahead, Dollar. You may be sorry for this, you know. Will you quit stalling and open it? Whatever you say. Mr. Howard! Nancy, go out there. Tell them I'm not to be disturbed. I'll see them in a few minutes. Oh, please, dear. Go ahead. Go on. Mr. Howard, these men are from the police. The police? Well, bless Peter Hanley. Oh, no, you... <laughs> yes, I do. Dollar. Dollar, are you all right? Those shots are... Johnny. Hiya, Pete. Huh? Oh, oh, thank heavens. Thank heavens. Yeah. Looks like he's okay, Mr. Hanley. But, Dollar, what under the sun did you do to our friend Howard here? Well, we had a little argument, Sergeant. I'll tell you all about it, and then you can haul him off to the clink. Oh? Hey, listen, if you've got something on Howard Howard, you'll be our friend for life. Sergeant, I've got plenty. Good, because, brother, we've been trying to catch up with him for years. Oh, incidentally, have you got a cell for Mrs. Merrill, too? You bet we have. Expense account item two, $50 in legal fees to make a deposition so I won't have to hang around for a trial or two or three. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Howard and Merrill and his wife are going to have a long, long time to think things over. Expense account total, including additional mileage on my rental car and the trip back to Hartford, $218 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Our star will return in just a moment. There are some men who, after being practically pushed into the service, find their element and commit heroic deeds. Frank Luke was that sort of young man. Soon after the United States entered World War I, Luke was taunted by his patriotic family into joining up. He was commissioned a second lieutenant after completing his flight training with the Signal Corps Air Service, that small beginning of today's mighty Air Force. Lieutenant Luke found it difficult to accept the discipline so necessary in the military. When he got to France and was assigned to the English Spads, his attitude worried his commanding officer. But Luke's performance in the air didn't. In less than two months in aerial combat, he accounted for seven enemy aircraft and earned himself the nickname of Balloon Buster for knocking down 11 or 12 of those menaces to the ground troops, the observation balloons. For his gallant action in the face of great danger and overwhelming odds, he was awarded two Distinguished Service Crosses and the Medal of Honor. Shortly before the end of the war, Lieutenant Frank Luke made his last heroic combat flight. After having just returned from a sizzling air battle, he refueled his spad and took off on an extra duty mission. Pursued by eight enemy planes, he shot down three balloons. He was wounded, and his plane was so badly damaged in the action that he had to make a forced landing in a German cemetery. Perhaps the irony of it struck him at the time. When called upon to surrender, he preferred to open fire with his automatic and fight to the death, though he was only 21 years of age. Lieutenant Frank Luke may have had trouble adjusting to the military life, but when he did, he was a gallant fighter and a credit to his country. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a quiet little fishing pier on the coast of California. Only they call it the Pier of Death. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is written, produced, and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Paula Winslow, Ben Wright, Jack Crucian, Jack Edwards, Marvin Miller, and Joseph Kearns. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Pat McCracken, Johnny, Universal Adjustment Bureau. Oh, hi, Pat. What's on your mind? At the moment, you. Huh? Johnny, you've been working too hard. Oh, this I've been convinced of for years, Pap, but I've never been able to convince anybody else, especially you. Okay, I'm convinced. What you need is a nice vacation, all expenses paid. Whoa, whoa. Now, Southern California is very nice this time of I year. just came back from there. The beaches, the swimming, sun, golf, nightlife. Look, Pat, thanks a lot, but no thanks. Well, now, Johnny... The last time you invited me to take one of your vacations, I got hit over the head, almost run down by a truck, and kicked around by a yeah. guy seven feet tall. Yeah, but this one's different. Johnny, it's a real simple job. Oh, they all are, according to you. All I want you to do is pick up something out on the coast and bring it back here. That's all. Yeah, what? A hundred thousand dollars. Oh. Oh. I'll be right over. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Johnson payroll matter. Expense account item one, $1.25 cab fare from my apartment at the office of Universal Adjustment Bureau in Pat McCracken. thousand bucks made you prick up your ears, Johnny. <laughs> Sit down. Okay, Pat. What's the deal? You hear about the Johnson payroll robbery last week down in New York? I read about it, but there weren't too many details. They got a hundred thousand, and the payroll was insured by one of the companies we represent. How many in on the robbery, do you know? Oh, uh, we're not sure. There were several. One of them was fatally wounded. Was he able to talk before he died? Yeah, just enough to tell us the plan was to split up after the robbery, meet in another city to divvy up the loot. Uh-huh. And you think it's out in California now? We also think one of the crooks may be trying to double-cross the others. Hiding out from them, maybe? That's the general idea. We got a call from Los Angeles this morning. Fellow wouldn't give his name. But he claimed he could give us a lead on the one who has the dough. For a price, of course. Ah. Uh-huh. So you're to meet him in L.A. and find out what he knows, if anything. What do you figure his angle is, Pat? Oh, maybe several, Johnny, but I don't care. What I do care about is getting the money back. All right. How do I contact this man in Los Angeles? You don't. He'll contact you. 
at your hotel, the Nestor. The Nestor. Okay, Pratt, I'm on my way. Oh, just one thing, Johnny. Yeah? Maybe it's occurred to you, maybe it hasn't. There will be others looking for that money, too. The other guys involved in the robbery? Yeah. Of course, if you can get there first... I'll try. Oh, and don't bother telling me to be sure to get back here in one piece. Hmm? That I'll really try to do. Expense account item two, $187 even, air transportation and incidentals to Los Angeles. I've been told to stay at the Hotel Nestor, so I took a cab that's item three, five fifty from the airport. It was just getting dark as my cab pulled up in front of the place. Before I could get out, somebody got in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this cab was occupied. Well, that's okay. Welcome aboard. Here, I'll get out. Oh! oh it's okay. I've got you. Sorry, I lost my balance. Must have got my heel. Uh, you may be sorry, but I'm not. I can't think of a better way to arrive in a strange city than with a beautiful girl in your arms. If you'll let go of me. Oh. oh, yeah, well, if you insist. Oh, thanks. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. You can have this cab as soon as I get my stuff out. Oh, that's all right. I'm in a hurry. I'll get another one. Goodbye. Oh, wait a second. I mean, after all... Oh, well... Yeah, that's the story of my life. The best ones always seem to get away. I went into the hotel lobby to register, but found a message waiting for me from the informant who'd phoned to Pat. I was to drive to the little town of Corrado Beach down the coast and meet a man there first thing in the morning. There was a map showing me the way to a small pier where the meeting was to take place. Hmm. Looked like Los Angeles had suddenly got too hot for him. Expense account item four, $50 to rent a car. I left word where I'd be, drove to Corrado Beach, and checked in at a motel. Then early next morning, I went out to the little pier. It was a ramshackle affair with a couple of beat-up boats tied to it and an old character fumbling with the door of a little bait shack. I went over to him. Hi. Morning. Having trouble? Yeah, some kid's been monkeying with this lot. You want some bait? No, no. This is one trip I didn't come to fish. How is it, by the way? Fishing? Yeah, fine. Oh, just my luck. No, I'm supposed to meet somebody here. Oh, it must be that fellow out there. He was already there when I got here. Oh, where? Well, you see that boat, the bottom side up on the pier near the end? You mean the man sitting beside it? Yeah. Got himself a fishing rod, looks like. Could be he wants some bait. I'll, uh, I'll walk out with you and see if you don't mind. No, not at all. So the fishing's been good, huh? What have they been catching? Oh, quite a few bass last couple of days. Off the pier? Yeah. There's some kelp beds in close. Brings them in around here. Funny. Hmm? And your friend there, you don't seem... Hey, sleep, I guess. Hey, watch out. He's slipping. Grab him. You got him. But... Hmm. Hey, mister. Mister, he, he isn't sleeping. That's right. He's dead. <laughs> Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars, and behind each star there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Georgia's state flag displays the state seal on a strip of blue. 
The seal symbolizes the fact that constitutional government rests equally on the three major branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial, and that all three must be guarded equally if a sound government is to be maintained. The greater portion of Georgia's flag is crimson. On it is superimposed the blue cross of St. Andrew, bearing 13 white stars for the original 13 colonies. This cross, made in the form of saltire or X, was adopted from the national flag of Scotland. Georgia's state flag, the flag of the fourth state to enter the Union, was adopted in 1956. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Johnson Payroll Matter. I'd flown 3,000 miles to meet a man, only to find him dead at the end of a rickety little pier at Corrado Beach, a knife between his ribs. I searched him while the old fellow at the bait shack went to call the police. But I didn't find a thing on him to help me. No identification, even. Later, talking to the police, well, they didn't have any line on him either. My only lead on the payroll robbery was dead. I waited around the motel most of the day, hoping the police could turn up something on the dead man, but it was no soap. Item five, two dollars for drinks in the town's only bar while I tried to figure out my next move. And my next move was to the phone booth in the corner to call Pat McCracken back in Hartford. Collect. Oh, tough luck, Johnny. But are you sure the dead man is our informant? There was no identification on him, but he was right where he told me he'd be in the message he left for me in L.A. Well, probably not much doubt about it, then. Oh, incidentally, I sent some mug shots out to you. Some men yeah. might have been involved in the Johnson payroll job. Send them airmail special. Yeah, I got them about an hour ago. We're not sure if any of them are the ones or not, and we don't have any line at all on the leader of the gang. Well, what's your next move, John? Uh, search me. Right now, I'm right in the middle of nowhere. I guess I... Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? Maybe I'm not out of leads after all. What do you mean? Pat, I'll call you later. <laughs> What pulled me off that phone in a hurry was a glimpse of somebody over near one end of the bar. I slid out of the booth and went over. Well, hi. What? Imagine meeting you here. I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. You're the girl who got into my cab in Los Angeles. I I'm afraid you're confusing me with somebody else. I'm sorry. No, I have no, to go. No, no, just a minute. I'm beginning to think it wasn't just coincidence you got into my cab. Maybe we'd better have a little talk. Please, go over my arm. You've made a mistake, and there's nothing to talk about. Is he annoying you, lady? Now, look, bartender, I'm just trying yes, to find... Yes, he is annoying me. Take your hands off her, buddy. Now, look, Joe. I mean it, and my name ain't Joe. I got you outweighed by about 40 pounds, buddy. You don't understand. Just let go of her, and we'll talk it over. I... Okay, okay. Thank you. Now, just what is it I don't understand, buddy? Skip it. Buddy. So she got away from me. I grabbed my top coat off a hook and stepped outside the bar. It was damp and foggy out there. I put on the coat and started looking around for her, but it was too late. She was just plain gone. Then, walking along with my hands in my coat pockets, I realized there was something in one. A key to a motel room, but not mine. Funny. Then I remembered I'd had the coat beside me in the taxi when the girl climbed in back in Los Angeles. Yeah, she could have slipped it in the coat pocket then. Why? Well, that's what I wanted to find out. I looked up the motel. It was about a mile down the highway from mine, room 7. 
Yeah, the key fit all right. Then as I opened the door, I realized I had company right behind me. Freeze, Dollar. Huh? Who are you? Never mind. Inside. Move. Okay. Get that blind down. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Your face looks familiar. Yeah, those mug shots McCracken sent me. You must be slattery. Right, boy. One of the guys they suspect of pulling the Johnson payroll job. Too bright for your own good, Dollar. You must be the one who killed the man out on the pier. The man who was going to tell me where the payroll door is. That's a nice stall, Dollar, but it won't work. What do you mean, Slattery? Blake killed him, and you know it. Yeah? Who is Blake? You want to play it coy, huh, Dollar? Okay, we'll do it your way. Blake's got the payroll door, and you're working with him. Just how do you figure that? Blake's girlfriend climbed in your taxi in Los Angeles. I figure she slipped you the key to this room. Hey, look, you got a few things all twisted. Shut up and stand still. This gun has a habit of going off sometimes. No kidding. So where's the dough? Take it or leave it, Slattery. I don't know. Well, it better be in this room. Yeah? And if it isn't? You guess. I don't think I need more than one. If it isn't here, I'm not leaving. Is that the idea? Oh, you leave, all right. It's just that you won't be walking out of here. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Over 150 years ago, the Swiss poet Henri Amiel wrote, Heroism is the brilliant triumph of the soul over fear. Heroism is the dazzling and glorious concentration of courage. During the Korean campaign, Corporal Ronald Rosser was attached to the heavy mortar company of the 38th Infantry, 2nd Division, United States Army. Rosser, a veteran of World War II, rejoined the army and shipped to Korea when he heard that his brother had fallen in the winter assault of the Chinese communists. One day, Rosser's company moved into enemy territory. At the time, the corporal was a forward observer and carried a radio. Suddenly, in the midst of an enemy attack, Rosser handed his radio to a buddy, slipped the safety off his carbine, and filled his shirt with hand grenades. He charged at the enemy through fierce mortar and artillery fire, shooting from the hip. Straddling a bunker, he riddled its occupants. Still advancing, he accounted for two more of the enemy, shooting one through the head and clubbing another to death. Continuing his one-man charge, he jumped into a trench full of enemy soldiers, opened fire and forced his way relentlessly down the length of the trench, killing right and left with grenades and carbine fire. Out of ammunition, he returned to his company, where he replenished his supply. Then he charged the enemy again and again. Finally, he returned to his own area, and taking the radio back from his friend, he moved out with his company. Corporal Ronald Rosser was awarded the Medal of Honor for his action, action which had shown the enemy that his personal code of conduct wouldn't let them push around either his kid brother or his country. And now, Act Three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Johnson Payroll Matter. Oh, now, 
look, Slattery, you've torn this motel room completely apart. Obviously, that payroll money isn't here. That's right, Teller. So now you're going to tell me where it is. Oh, brother, you take a lot of convincing. I told you, I don't know. So why don't you put that gun away and listen? You're the one who takes the convincing, Teller, so I start convincing. Oh, That's not going to do you any good. No? Well, for sure, it's not going to do you any good, so... wait a minute, look. Look, I'll give you the whole story. And I'm supposed to believe it, huh? Staring down that gun barrel, I'm not about to lie. Let's have it. All right. A guy called us from Los Angeles, said he could give us a lead on who had the dough from the Johnson payroll job. It was Hollis. He was hoping you'd lead him to it. Hollis? Yeah, yeah, the guy you found out in the pier dead. And you said a man named Blake killed him. You know Blake killed him. You know Blake engineered the holdup and then ran out on Hollis and me. Do I? Sure, because you're in with him. I seen his girl get in your cab in Los Angeles. Okay, so she got in my cab, but I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before. She slipped you the key to this motel room, didn't she? Yeah, now I think I know why. She was trying to sidetrack us. Lead us to think the dough was here so it would take the pressure off Blake and her. That part of your story I don't buy, Dollar. I think you know where that dough is and I want it. Now look. Talk! If you think I'm going to take any more of this. This gun says that's exactly what you're going to do until you decide to talk. I roll with this next one and let my eyes droop when my knees sag. He reached out to steady me and I gave my left foot in the stomach to flatten it. By the time he got to his feet, I was out the door. I dove behind some bushes down the road and I waited. He pounded right on past me, gun in hand. I waited until he was out of sight, then doubled back to my car. Apparently, Slattery didn't know Blake's girl was around here somewhere. One thing was sure, I had to find her, but fast. There were only three motels in town. The one I was staying at, the one where Slattery had been playing patty cake on my jaw, and a third off the highway near the beach. I drove to that one and checked the register. It showed a minor grant in number eight. Sorry, but we're going to have that talk right now. I tell you, you've made a mistake about me. Oh, come on. Drop the act, Marna. I know you're Blake's girlfriend, that you slipped that motel key in my coat pocket in L.A. to get me off the trail of the Johnson payroll money. The, the what? I also know that Blake masterminded the robbery and double-crossed his buddy, held out on him. Oh, I... I guess I knew it must be something like that. What are you talking about? Mr. Dollar, I... I haven't known Fred Blake very long. A month, maybe. I didn't know what he did for a living, and I didn't ask him. Two days ago, he said he was in trouble and needed my help. He wanted me to slip that key into your coat pocket in the taxi in Los Angeles. To take Slattery off his trail. Then he told me to meet him here at the beach. When I saw you in the bar a while ago, I got panicky. I didn't know what to do. But that's all I know about it. Mr. Dollar, I didn't know Blake was a criminal. Honestly, I didn't. Yeah, and will you help me find him? Yes. I will, Mr. Dollar. If I can. The trouble is, right now, I don't know where he is any more than you do. Well, it be, folks. Hey, wait a minute, buddy. Ain't you the one that was molesting this young lady an hour ago? Oh, Tarzan, buddy, my molesting days are over. Oh, it's all right, bartender. I'm sorry I caused you the trouble. No trouble, ma'am. Just glad it turned out all right. Things, uh, 
Happen fast here at the beach, I guess. I don't suppose you've ever heard of a guy named Fred Blake, have you? Not that I remember. You looking for him? Yeah. What's he look like? Medium height, uh, dark hair and brown eyes. Regular features. That description would fit half the guys that come in here. Sure. Fishermen, salesmen, vacation. Only that kind don't come in here anymore. Salesmen? No, fishermen. I thought the fishing was good here. Been no fishing around here for months. Huh? A fellow told me they were getting a lot of bass right off the pier. <laughs> he was pulling your leg, buddy. There's a chemical plant nearby. A lot of stuff got dumped into the water by accident a few months ago. The fish haven't been back since. Wait a minute. Sure, right under my nose all the time. What do you mean, Johnny? Martin, I'll see you later. I got in my car and headed for the pier. As I turned off the highway, I could see a car a couple of hundred yards back following me with its lights off. But I couldn't stop now. I parked near the pier and headed for the bait shack. The windows were still boarded over, but I could see a crack of light between the boards. I eased over to the shack. Oh, no. I flattened against the wall as the door came open and Blake came out with a gun. I hacked it out of his hand. All right, hold it, hold it, Blake. Well, the fisherman's friend, huh? Look, you killed that guy on the end of the pier just before I showed up this morning. You didn't have time to leave, so you're covered by making like you worked here. Then it occurred to you this was a pretty good hideout until Slattery got off your trail. Look, look, maybe we can make a deal, Dollar. Oh, we're going to. You turn the stolen money over to me, and I turn you over to the police. Drop your gun, Dollar. Huh? Drop it. Okay, Slattery. <laughs> Hello, Blake. Glad to see me. Look, Slattery, I, I wasn't trying to cross you. I, I was going to get in touch with you when things quieted down. <laughs> sure you were. Let's have the dough. Uh, all right, it, it's in the shack. Blake half turned, and I saw his hand slide into his coat, a second gun. He whipped it out, but Slattery had seen it, too. Uh, he got Blake, but his eyes were off me for a lucky second. I checked Blake. He was still alive. Yeah, they'd both keep for a long time. Item six, $174 even, air transportation and incidentals back home. Expense account total, $526.50. Remarks? The payroll money is back where it belongs. And Slattery and Blake are back where they belong, with Blake facing a murder rap to boot. Funny, I probably wouldn't have nailed him if he hadn't told me that phony story about the fish biting near the pier. Teaches me a lesson, Pat. I'm not going to tell any more fish stories. They can kill you. Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. Our star will return in just a moment. Our flag now numbers 50 stars. And behind each star, there stands yet another flag representing one of the 50 states. Ohio's state flag is the only pennant-shaped flag, or burgee, as it is correctly called. The Buckeye banner is the creation of an engineer who created a blue triangle for the hills and valleys, red and white stripes for the roads and waterways of the state. There are 13 stars for the original 13 colonies and four extra stars to indicate that Ohio was the 17th state admitted to the Union. A white circle with a red center 
represents the initial letter of Ohio and suggests its nickname, the Buckeye State. Ohio's state flag, the flag of the 17th state to enter the Union, was adopted on May 9, 1902. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a pair of common, ordinary glasses solve a case for us. The gruesome spectacle matter. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Today's story was written by Robert Stanley. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Lawrence Dobkin, Forrest Lewis, Shepard Menken, and Frank Gerstle. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.